welcome to The Bible and the English Major. I'm Marin, your host. In each episode of this podcast, we're going to analyze stories from Scripture the way an English major would, unpacking the parts to gain a better understanding of the whole. I'll keep it interesting because I'd love to start a conversation. After all, the best part of any good story is talking about it with friends. a friend with me today, which means we get to talk about the stories that relate to the Samaritan woman at the well. All of these stories talk about humans' relationship with God and the various parts of God and ways God relates with us. My friend, Danalee Simon, has been someone in my life for a long time who has understood that relational peace with God. So I am excited to introduce you to her. She is a pastor. She is a spiritual director. She is a wife and a mom. She is a woman who sees beauty and communicates it very well. Dana Lee, say hi to everybody. Tell everyone how we first met. Well, hi, everyone. And Marin, thank you so much. That was such a, just a sweet introduction. We first met on my seminary internship. I I was hired to be an intern at Gloria Day Lutheran in Dana Point, California. They set everything up and I knew that they had secured a place that I was going to be able to live in for the year. Then I got a call and they're like, oh, and also you're going to have a roommate. (laughs) And so we were roommates for the year and it, it was awesome. So then 20 years later, Matt and I are dropping our kids off at camp, and you pull up to camp with your two sons. You're the pastor for the week at camp, and your two sons are in the same cabin as our two sons, and they got to be buddies for the week, and then we got to reconnect, and now here we are today. Yeah, I don't think it's going to be another 20 years before we get together again. I have a feeling we'll get together with families. We'll just make something happen. I hope we do. Yeah, that would be great. That would be great. So I, I want to start with a little story, because this is a bit of wisdom that you planted in me that has stayed in me for 20 years and shapes my image of who you are as a, a human and as a pastor and as a follower of Jesus. So I was a young youth director, and I had big dreams for my youth group, for my kids, and I, I was frustrated. Things weren't going the way that I wanted to force them to go, and I said, Dana Lee, I, I just want them to be who God wants them to be. And you gave me your gentle Dana Lee smile and you said, but Marin, they already are. Mm. That was a, a growing edge for me, realizing that all of us are already completely and fully who God loves and that there is yeah. no more room for God to love us more. There is no need to become more. And it has taken me 20-ish years to feel like I'm understanding that more than I did then. But just wanted you to know that something you said to me 20 years ago has played a role in my heart and my mind ever since. So thank you for that. Tell us a bit about your journey how you first heard the call to become a pastor and how that has evolved into spiritual direction and 
and even what spiritual direction means. Yes, I'd love to share about that. I had an amazing high school youth group experience. I had a, a, a director of Christian education who totally changed what church was for me. For the first time in my life, I loved church. I learned to pray out loud. And I thought, well, I'm going to be a director of Christian education. And so I, I knew that in high school. And then I'm also like a firstborn people pleaser. I'm going to fulfill everyone's external expectation of me. And I thought my parents would like me to be a business person. And I'm really good at math. So I'm going to go get an accounting degree. I mean, all my friends in college are like, what are you doing, Danalee? So I did. And I worked in that for a while. And my call never went away, though. Finally, I just I'm like, I got to go. I can't not go to seminary. And I remember being a little afraid to tell my parents. And sure enough, I tell my dad and he's like, all I ever want you to do is be happy, Dana Lee. Mm-mm. So then I went to seminary and I, I worked in congregational settings in two different calls, one in Wisconsin, one here in Utah. And they were, they were great. I was about eight and a half years into my second call here up at Elam Lutheran in Ogden, Utah. And I've always loved chaplaincy. I've always thought maybe I'll be a chaplain someday. Maybe I'll be a spiritual director someday. Spiritual direction would be something I, I would think of a couple times a year. Mm-hmm. Oh, someday I'll do that. When I'm tired of ministry in the church, when I have a little bit more experience and maybe more wisdom, all of a sudden it became something I thought about every week. And I, it, it surprised me. And I realized that those thoughts that don't go away, yeah. that's one of the ways God uses to speak to me. I took a real year to discern, to dig deeper into some spiritual practices, to get a coach and a coaching group who would do some deeper listening to me around what am I meant to do with my call? And so I I left to go get certified as a spiritual director. I I did a program through Shalem Institute in Washington, D.C. So it's a two-year, like a deep dive into contemplative spirituality I have always been a contemplative. Mm -hmm. I just, I did not have the language for it. I went there and I'm like, these are my people. They love the same things. (laughs) You know, they they talk the same language. I didn't even know there was a language for this. So how would you describe that language for people who don't speak that language? I think in contemplative spirituality, like we're always, we're willing to drop down into our hearts, but kind of that, the knowing that we have in, in our heart and our spirit and which is a different kind of knowing that we, mm-hmm. then we can learn from books, the value of silence, mm-hmm. of listening, and having that be as much of your prayer as the asking and the talking, mm-hmm. trusting how, how much wisdom we already have inside. Mm-hmm. There, you know, there's a lot of, it's just a lot of deep listening mm-hmm. has been, such a gift, like for me to take the time to do that. And I, I do understand that it's been a gift to the people who work with me in spiritual direction to receive that, to Mm. be deeply listened to. Yeah. I don't think we get that very much in our life these days. Yeah. You know, getting to ask the question, like, not just how are you, but how is your spirit? Hmm. Kind of a different question. Yeah. I kind of hand people back to themselves, back to 
the God that is already flowing out of them or welling up within them. Mm -hmm. You know, it's more of an uncovering than it is any kind of wisdom that I'm, I'm saying people I'm meeting with will say, you said this and that just, that makes so much sense. And I will say, actually, you said that. And I said it back to you. (laughs) I just reflected back what you said. Yeah, it's really beautiful what can happen. Yeah, I love that. I love your references to the well there, Dan Lee. I'm not missing (laughs) that. But that idea, you know, ancient wells had covers on them. They were more holes in the ground than they were little house on the prairie wells, where it's like a little cylinder sticking out of the ground with a cute little roof over the top. They were more just holes and they would cover the hole with a gigantic rock. And I love that what you're saying is that that your role is to help people roll the rock away to see the water that is already flowing within them. Yes. And the other super important piece is we trust the Spirit's presence among us too. Mm -mm. That there's help in this work from the Spirit when we show up trusting that she's there too. Mm. In our meeting, we're actually turning towards her. Yeah in an intentional way. That's why we're there, right? We're turning towards God who always is turned towards us. Well, the you I knew 20 years ago, it seems like such a perfect fit. It makes so much sense to me that this is what you're doing. Oh, thank you. I've wondered where is the connection of what Marin's doing with what I'm doing? There were so many pieces you took away for me to have a deeper understanding of the gospel text and of the Genesis text. I realized the more the text is uncovered, the more touch points there are for us to grab a context of the story that makes sense for our own lives. The deeper we can know the text, the little hidden gems that you drew out of those the more connective points there are, I think, for us to imagine, how does this make sense for my life with God now? Mm -hmm. Oh, I I just love that. That's how I will use your podcast in a personal way. So happy to hear that. I, I wanted to ask you, was there just a main aha in this season where you were like, oh my gosh, this just really blows my mind? That's a great question. As I was researching, I found the connection to Jacob and Rachel and also to Rebecca and Moses meeting his wife, all of these betrothal stories at Wells. And the first few articles I read about them, they didn't grab me. I was like, whoop-de-doo, people meet each other at Wells. So I went down the Hagar path first because I've always loved Hagar. I really love the idea that this Egyptian woman is this theologian, just like this Samaritan woman is a theologian, and they both see God and are seen by God and name God. I love that. So that is the trail I went down first and then had to try and figure out, well, what's Sean up to? Why is he connecting these two women? Well, ultimately, it's about what he's saying about Jesus. He's proclaiming who Jesus is making a connection of who Jesus is with this God who was present from the very beginning. And then I saw the Holy Spirit is there too within 
the living water. So there's there's a connection there between Jesus and, and the Holy Spirit flowing out of him. And then I found an article that talked about the reason why it's a betrothal narrative is Jesus is the bridegroom. And then I was like, oh, like that's the point of why we would connect it to all these betrothal stories. That's actually cool. We have the covenantal parent God. We have the bridegroom going to die for the church savior. And we have the Holy Spirit, which like those are the three parts of God that the Christian church has traditionally named. And I'm like, holy cow, how brilliant is John to put all three parts of God in one little 40 verse story? I didn't see that. I didn't recognize all three parts. And that is brilliant. Because then it gets all kinds of questions about like, how did this all happen? And I have two sides of my brain as I'm studying this stuff. I look at it just like English major. Wow, this author is so brilliant. And oh, look at the devices he used as he pieced these things together. And oh, what cool symbolism. (laughs) But I'm also a person of faith. And I'm like, Holy Spirit, were you the one writing this through the author? Because can a human author actually pull all of this off all at once? But maybe it's just lots of people contributed lots of different times and somebody super brilliant pulled it all together and actually wrote it down. It blows my mind and creates more questions, not fewer questions. And that's just exciting to me. I love that. So you said you chose this story as your ordination sermon, your scripture. Yeah. I I wish I could go back and really wonder like why I did that. I think Jesus using a woman to be the one who tells about him is probably the really clear connection for choosing it for my ordination. I, I think it's such a powerful line when she's met him at the well, she runs back to her town and she exclaims, come and see a man who told me everything I have ever done. And I just think that is nothing I would ever say. I don't <laughs> want anybody to know everything I have ever done. I, I love how you brought out, this is not a judgment and she's not feeling judged. Mm-hmm. And if anything, she feels the most free she's ever felt, delighted in, as you said, that piece still is really powerful to me that a, a conversation with Jesus would free us. Mm. I do a lot of teaching with self-compassion these days as well. There's just such a, a strong connection with that too. Just so much freedom to love ourselves just as we are. Yeah. We're good enough now before we do one more thing, before we fix anything, before God does anything else with us, being delighted in just as you are being used just as you are. All of that is wrapped up just in that one line that she goes back and says, yeah, I think that part still really stands out. I I loved all the patterns you brought up, Marin. Hmm. That's again, it's nothing that I would pick up on necessarily just reading it. In the woman at the well and the Hagar story, the, the pattern of not being seen and then being seen and then them seeing God yeah. and really both being able to name God 
which really no one else does. I, I'm hearing you teach us. That feels really powerful for me in my own life right now. Part of seeing God and naming God and being seen by God, the preclusion of that is feeling unseen. Mm-hmm. It really calls to mind what we do with our own suffering, what's possible from that. There's so much suffering in the world. Yeah. It, it gives such a beautiful picture of what can still come out of suffering, out of being marginalized, out of feeling unseen or like I don't belong. Mm-hmm. What comes from that in those stories is actually, no, God does see you. Yeah. And maybe even precisely because you've been cast out. I love that God accepts both of their names. The ones who haven't been seen, who aren't being seen, to whatever degree they see God, to whatever degree any of us see God, the name that we give to God, God accepts. Mm. You know, it's good enough. I think God sees us seeing God and accepts our view of what we see, cloudy though it may be. There's no, that's Mm. not good enough like a child who is first learning to say its parent's name. The parent never says, no, it's not dad. It's dad. (laughs) You're not doing it right. I, I love that wherever these women are and however they see the God in front of them, the name they give that God is good enough, is perfect. Yeah. God just wants to be named. Seen back. Seen back. Turned. Turned to me. Turned. Yeah. Yeah. This also has to do with the names, but I never noticed this in the story of the woman at the well, how the names that she refers to him as change as she goes. Mm -hmm. So she starts out, I think you said she starts out like he's the Jew, mm-hmm. which there's some animosity if he's the other, they're other to each other. And then he becomes sir. Then she names him as a prophet. Yep. And then finally Messiah. Mm-hmm. That kind of blew my mind. I'd never noticed that. If I'm taking it back to like, ooh, like what is, what is this? What can this say to me? Permission for our names for God to change, yeah. for our understanding and for that to be reflected in how we refer to, to Jesus or, or God, mm-hmm. that ideally that will change over the course of our relationship. One thing I thought of is it'd be really fun to sit down, just think about my own journey of faith from like a little girl. How have my names for God changed over the yeah. years? Maybe I would use adjectives instead of names. Just see how it shifted. How I think about God has shifted. How I name God. Mm-hmm. What I need God to be for me Yeah. at different times of my life. That could be a really fun journal prompt or something. Just like John told this story that way. A way to tell the story of your life based on how you describe God in those moments. Yeah. And remind me, what are the names he calls her? At the end, he says, woman, believe me, a time is coming when you'll worship the father. And then he says, you Samaritans in general. 
Yes, I think that's what I remember now. Samaritan, maybe just to woman. But it, you know, Hagar gets, that's her name, her. Yeah. But this is the woman at the well. Part of me wishes she had a more specific name. And then the other part of me is like, maybe she's every woman. There's something powerful, I think, either way. Yeah. Well, and she's every bride. So she's the male in the church, too. She's the church. If it's a betrothal story and Jesus is the bridegroom, then she represents the church as the bride. Yes. I like that. Yeah. I like that. She offers us a very big space to to walk into as the church. That's quite beautiful. Say more. To, To leave the jar behind. There's pieces we don't need anymore, maybe, to go without judgment, to be inspired by our interactions with Jesus, to then go invite more people into it, or to at least tell our own truth in a way that is not full of shame anymore. She really walks into freedom. She just lets go of everything else. It None of it matters anymore. Whatever her history is, it doesn't matter. Not in a negative way, anyway. It matters in that he knows it and has seen it, but it doesn't matter in a way that burdens her anymore. Yes. She is just free. Why would the people have listened to her? That's quite curious to me, actually, Mm -hmm. because they knew her, her situation, but there was something had changed that people would be able to receive the invitation because then they went to the well. Amy Jill Levine, she's a New Testament scholar. Her take is that the Samaritans never looked down on her that whatever her marital history was, there was no shame in her village because if there were, they wouldn't have listened. Okay. I find that kind of interesting. Or maybe there is something completely transformed about her and they just have to see what it's about. Yeah. For some reason, they're able to see her when they couldn't before. I kind of hope it's that. Yeah, I like that. No offense to Amy (laughs) Jillipi. Right? (laughs) I remember talking about she was at the well in the middle of the day. And that's not typically when women went to the well. Mm -hmm. So was that because she was ostracized? Or I I don't know. I happen to read about all these things, Danielie. Does it mean that she had to go when other women weren't there so that she wouldn't feel left out or judged? Or is it because in just the chapter before, Nicodemus comes to Jesus in the dark, in the night, Ah. and he doesn't seem to get fully who Jesus is. And she encounters him in the day, and she does seem to fully get who Jesus is. Or is it just a connection to Jacob and Rachel because Jacob was at the well at the heat of the day, and it's just another Uh. way for John to say... Hey, remember those betrothal stories that happened at the well? This is another one. Mm-hmm. Or is it all three? Right, right. Yeah, very yeah. fun. You've mentioned here the, the idea of Jesus being thrilled or like mm-hmm. he was excited. That was a piece that you lifted out. 
that in my own reading of the John story, the, the woman at the well over the years, I don't think I ever thought of, oh, Jesus was thrilled to have this conversation. Mm-hmm. Or like in your in very initial episode, you talked about him delighting in her. Yeah. That was another aha moment for me. Some of the the illusions, the the little inside jokes that you knew he was telling. I don't, that was something I didn't know. So I didn't know that he, through his words, that he was being playful. I think that's so interesting. It brings us to a new understanding. So that was just another really beautiful piece for me. Thinking about Jesus getting a kick out of having a conversation with me. Right. And it's never anything I've thought of that a conversation with him could be light and kind of teasing right. or banter. Yes. A little bit of banter. Cause you know, I think we all have, Oh, if I ever get to ask God a question, this is what I'm going to ask. And it's all those like, why do you let evil happen? <laughs> or, you know, but just, I mean, it was, I, I appreciated, I think the, the lightness of thinking about that. I think what tipped me off was the idea that, okay, if this is a betrothal narrative, No way am I saying Jesus and the woman had any sort of romantic relationship. That's not what I'm saying. But if it's meant to recall these ancient betrothal narratives, well, what do people act like when they begin to fall in love? There's joy. There's banter. There's connection. There's appreciation for each other. There's delight. Yes. If Jesus is the bridegroom and we are the church, his bride, then why wouldn't there be that kind of delight and connection and enjoyment between God and us? And then he doesn't want to eat when the disciples come back. They bring him lunch and they're trying to get him to eat and he won't eat because he's just talking. And he's talking about how there's a harvest. And God wants to send us all out and we're going to be workers. He's excited about this church that he's gathering to himself. He's giddy about being the bridegroom. I feel like John throws in her funny little puns in there because she knows what's happening. She's like, oh, I am enjoying this conversation with this man who is respecting me, who is listening to my theological questions, and we're getting to know each other. And I know who this guy is, and I'm going to go tell my family about it. I love it. I, I love gaining that perspective. It's been fun to see what you can see in these stories. And I think the other piece of why to go this deep is because then we don't make it about oh, women shouldn't behave this way. If all her husbands are to tip us off that this is a betrothal narrative, well, then we can't just make it about women. You should only have one husband and behave yourself. And that's the point of the story. That's just, it's taking like such the easy way out to go there. And I think that easy way has been used for a long time. Yeah. In the history of the church. Let's allow the Bible to be more complicated. Maybe not everything's black and white. We don't know the exact answer to everything, but there's so much more to harvest from this text then. And more joy and more life and more love. What if the Bible's funny? Well, it is funny. I mean, I think we've seen that in this 
in this series. Right. What if this woman is witty? And what if Jesus laughed when she said, you think you're greater than Jacob? What if he chuckled? Mm -hmm. And what if he was, well, yeah, actually I am. (laughs) Wait till you figure this one out. (laughs) Wait till you see what else I'm going to do. Right, exactly. (laughs) (laughs) So yeah, no wonder he can't eat when the disciples bring food back because he's just had a really good time. It makes me think of the rejoicing in heaven when one sinner repents, I guess is the verse. If there's a party in heaven... Whenever someone comes to know Jesus, if that's true, then why wouldn't there be a party at the well when someone right in front of Jesus figures out who he is? That's him having a party. You know, while we're on the betrothal narratives, the other thing I really liked or that struck me was your advice to pay attention in each one when it years a little bit. I feel like there was an invitation for me in that. So this is my spiritual director sensibility coming out again. Usually when my story veers, I think my initial tendency of I clamp down, I control, I'm like just trying to get back on as fast as I can. Your invitation, like, no, that's the place to pay attention. Something's really happening. That's where we're going to see like what God is maybe doing in the, the unique aspect of this story with these particular people. And I, I felt an invitation, like, what if when my plans, the way I think things are going to go, a pattern that I think I'm living out, what if when I realize it's changed or it's not following, what if that's a cue to me? Maybe freak out a little bit, feel your stress. It's okay to feel mad or sad or whatever. But then like, what if my next step was just pay attention be curious. What's going on now? What is God doing? Yeah. How is God especially showing up maybe when I'm out of the consistent pattern? When the story veers, open your ears. (laughs) When the story veers, open your ears. Yeah. That might be the cool motto for life that I want to hold on to for a while. Yeah. I like that. I'm like you. I want to fix My story is veering right now, and I need to get back in control and fix it. But if you look at it according to those stories, where the story is veering, that's where it's interesting. That's where the point of what God is doing here, or this is the characteristic marker for this character, this person. Yeah, the crux of the lesson. And that's where the beauty is, especially with the Samaritan woman, the veering is that Jesus leaves town and doesn't find his betrothed. He doesn't find who he's looking for. So he has to go to Samaria. And then the fact that the Samaritan woman is his quote unquote bride, that is more beautiful than if he had found her in Jerusalem, because now he is bringing together a broken family. The split of the Samaritans away from the tribes of Judah, it is more beautiful because there's a veering than if it had just followed the pattern. Yes, it's more full, more complete, encompassing more people. And that's who he is. Maybe Jesus himself felt frustrated at his own Jewish people, at their response in Jerusalem. And then on the way home, he went through Samaria 
And then he was, all right, Father, when the story veers, I'm opening my ears. And what a beautiful twist you've just put into this story. Yeah. We're lucky we have the whole story and we can just read it all at once. So you have the benefit of the hindsight of how it turned out into this beautiful interaction. Another beautiful piece of contemplative spirituality. I'm okay with mystery. Yeah. I don't need an answer for everything. I don't need to box in how I think God is alive and active in the world still and in my life, in the lives of every person, you know. I like bringing that to scripture too, because it just, we don't have to know everything. Yeah. We can wonder, we can use our theological imagination. We can also use our scholars that we have that are teaching us really good stuff, you know. People who want more, who want more living water in their life, what would you offer to them as a spiritual director? People who are hungry, whether they believe in this God or not, but would just like some more love and life and joy flowing in our daily lives. Mm-hmm. What would you suggest to open us? Yeah, to open us to living water. The first thing that's coming to mind feels a little counterintuitive. I think sometimes when, when we're wanting something, we feel something is lacking. The way to receive it is to actually give it. Huh. I, I often use, and I, I love using this loving kindness practice where you think of yourself and then you kind of send love to yourself. May I be happy? May I be healthy? May I feel loved? And then you think of someone who's easy to love in your life and you bring them up in your mind and then you just wish them, may they be happy, may they be healthy, may they feel loved. And then you, you think of maybe a more neutral person, someone who doesn't conjure up a lot of negative or good feelings, like just sure. maybe the person who works at the grocery store or someone you see on your street randomly that you don't know, bring them up in your mind May they be happy, may they be healthy, may they feel loved. And then maybe you can think of a person who's a little more difficult. You're having a challenge with them now. It doesn't have to be the hardest person in the world for you, but someone who's a little more difficult to love. If this step feels too hard, I always invite just bring up yourself again. Think of this person or yourself. May they be happy, may they be healthy, may they feel loved. I don't know what happens in the lives of the people we think up in our minds, Mm -hmm. but I know for me, when I do that practice, I've just stirred up a whole bunch of love in my life. Right. What we offer comes back. I sometimes think we are so busy. We're so tapped out. I think the reality is for most people, research even shows, it's so much easier for us to show love to others than ourselves. We, are, we tend to be so much harder on ourselves than we are to anybody else. And so I sometimes feel like God, the universe, whatever you want to call it, we are having living water poured out of us, but we are closed. There's a cap on uh-huh our spirit, our heart, whatever, wherever it would be poured into. I don't think there's a lack of living water. 
but how are we open? How are we leaving space within our lives to receive carving out a little more time for quiet or to do the things you know that bring you joy? Everyone has some sense of something that brings them joy. Mm-hmm. So do we, do we allow ourselves the time to receive it might have to do with time. It also might have to do just with the knowledge or the willingness to open our hearts a little bit. Hmm. I, I have this image that I use when I teach centering prayer. I really believe like God is heart forward, face forward, always looking at us. Hmm. And our attention is everywhere else most of the time. Yeah. Like we're doing our work. We're raising our kids. We're doing all sorts of wonderful, beautiful things in the world. But what happens in centering prayer when we decide to sit for 20 minutes, it's like us saying, okay, God, I know you're always with me. Your presence is unconditional with me all the time. And in this moment of prayer, I'm going to sit here and I'm actually going to turn my face to look at you and we're going to look at each other and we're going to be with each other. Maybe one way to receive the living water is to say, I want to receive the living water, saying what we want, saying what we know we need. It's okay to give yourself that because we know what happens when we allow the living water to come into us. It's not just going to pool in us and not go anywhere. It's going to overflow and it's going to serve the people in our path. Yeah. It's going to flow out into our work, into our communities. So it's not a selfish thing, you know, to, to want that. Also, like, I want to be very realistic. Our lives have droughts. Mm -hmm. And I think in those moments, Maybe someone sitting next to you who can splash some of their water on you. I I think there are times in our lives where it's, I can't get filled. I can't feel it. I can't open myself to receive it. And it's a real part of our human journeys too. Mm -hmm. That's maybe one of the beauties of community, of friendship, because maybe then we surround ourselves and we receive the splashes. That's all that's available to us sometimes the living water, it will always find its way with the pattern of Jesus. The, the last word is resurrection. I don't know if that's helpful. I think it is. I think that's, it's beautiful. Well, I'd love to do one more thing, Maren. I, the very last words you wrote in your fifth reflection, I feel like would be the really beautiful guided imagery that we could leave with people. Would that be okay if I just kind of lead that? That would be awesome. Thank you. Okay. Spiritual director, Dana Lee. <laughs> so, so that we can go out on a, a peaceful note. I want to say thank you for being my guest, being willing to give me your time today. I've really enjoyed talking with you and I'm grateful for your time. I have had so much fun. This feels like just the beginning of this project and I'm so excited to see where it goes. Thank you so much for asking me to do this. Listeners, Dana Lee has come up with a series of invitations that go with each of the episodes in this latest series. And I think they're all beautiful. So they will be in the show notes. Do with that as you will, maybe a way to help you be open 
to some living water flowing into your life. So thank you for those, Stanley. You're welcome. Thank you for passing them along yes. to the, the listeners. Yeah. Okay. So again, if you want these words, it's really the last paragraph of Marin's reflections for episode five, but we're going to use them more as a guided imagery, as I said, and I just invite us to drop down into our hearts, into our spirit, and these words lead us into that so beautifully and perfectly. So if it feels okay for you, wherever you're listening to this, I'll invite you to close your eyes. Or maybe you'll find a soft gaze lowering your eyes to your lap or the floor or table in front of you. That would be fine as well. And then notice your breath. You don't have to do anything. You don't have to count or anything. Just notice it. Just using our breath to anchor us in our bodies. And then as Marin invites, I want to just lead you through this and give you the freedom to really let your imagination kind of go. Follow her words. Imagine a loving God whose very being overflows with life-giving water. The water gushes up inside those who ask for it. And flows out of them too. This water brings life wherever it goes. It is good water that revives the dead places within us and in the world. This water stares down death and says, you have no power here. In this water, the life and love of God flows to all people. It honors all humanity. The life and love of God wants our full, honest selves and is less condemning of our dark places than we are. The life and love of God is unsurprised by failure and responds every time with grace. The Holy Spirit that gushes through God's people brings life. And it brings life so strong that it causes what is dead to live. 
if it's not life, if it's not love, there's a very good chance it's not God. And to that, I would say amen. And I'll invite you as you're ready to open your eyes or lift your gaze up. just invite you to leave this time listening to this podcast, knowing that love and life follows you and that you're taking it out with you just by being you. <laughs>